You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Righteous overmuch? The caution is against morbid scrupulosity and over-rigorism. We may illustrate by the case of the Jews who refused to defend themselves against their enemies on the Sabbath day. The next verse is a necessary corrective to this. Yet be cautious how thou disregardest the restraints of law. Be not over-righteous overmuch. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 351. Today is Friday, March 17th, 2022. And today I want to talk about Ecclesiastes 7.16 in particular. This passage I have come back to now and again and have thought about in connection to people being strict, people being very demanding of themselves and also of those around them. Now, when someone is demanding from a moral standpoint and from the standpoint of religiosity about how the people around them are talking and behaving, but they're not so demanding when it comes to themselves, we call those people hypocrites, right? We say, ah, you know, you have a double standard. You are not consistent. You are just using this as a way of getting power over the people around you. But when someone is excessively strict with regards to themselves and those around them, what do we say? Or if they're not so severe with the people around them, but they're excessively severe with themselves, what do we say about them? And do the scriptures talk to that? Do the scriptures speak to that? Well, I believe that they do. I believe that there is such a thing as, if dare I say it, trying to be holier than God. And that's a very dangerous place to be. That's a place that we don't want to be as Christians. We don't want to suppose ourselves capable of being holier than God because there is no such thing. There, there is no way of being holier than God. God is as holy as can be. We are at our holiest when we recognize that and when we think and feel and act accordingly and meditate on his holiness. We read, be holy for I am holy. But that set-apart definition of holiness, it's not based on our ability to be extra strict, extra severe, extra demanding and rigorous. That is about God setting us apart. If it's the kind of holiness that's going to count for much in the long run, anyways. Continuing on, the pulpit commentary at BibleHub.com is reported to say about Ecclesiastes 7.16, and I quote, 
Be not righteous over much. The exhortation has been variously interpreted to warn against too scrupulous observance of ritual and ceremonial religion or the mistaken piety which neglects all mundane affairs or the pharisaical spirit which is bitter in condemning others who fall short of one's own standard. Cox will have it that the advice signifies that a prudent man will not be very righteous since he will gain nothing by it nor very wicked, as he will certainly shorten his life by such conduct. But really, Koheleth is condemning the tendency to immoderate asceticism, which had begun to show itself in his day, a rigorous, prejudiced, indiscreet manner of life, conducted which made piety offensive and afforded no real aid to the cause of religion. This arrogant system virtually dictated the laws by which providence should be governed and found fault with divinely ordered circumstances if they did not coincide with its professor's preconceived opinions. Such religionism might well be called righteous overmuch. Neither make thyself overwise, Septuagint. And there's some characters there that I don't read because I don't know how to read Greek and Hebrew. So I'm not even going to Attempt, because it would just be blah, 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 blah. Uh, speaking from ignorance on my part. The Vulgate Latin means not a great deal more to me, although I can at least read it because it's in English script, English characters. Neque plus sapeus quam necesse est. Better show not thyself too wise i.e. do not indulge in speculations about God's dealings, estimating them according to your own predilections, questioning the wisdom of his moral government. Against such perverse speculations, St. Paul argues, Romans 9, 19, etc., Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth he still find fault? For who withstandeth his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why didst thou make me thus? A good principle carried to excess may bring evil results. Summum jus summa injuria. The maxim nekid nimis, moderation in all things, is taught here, and Aristotle's theory of virtue being the mean between the two extremes of excess and defect is adumbrated. Though we do not see that the writer is reproducing current Greek thought, or that independent reflection and observation could not have landed him at the implied conclusion without plagiarism, why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Lest perchance thou be confounded, lest thou be stupefied. <laughs> this is the primary meaning of the special form of the verb here used. And Plumptre supposes that the author intends thereby to express the spiritual pride which accompanies fancied excellence in knowledge and conduct and by which the possessor is puffed up, First Timothy 3.6. But plainly, it is not a mental internal effect that is contemplated, but something that affects comfort, position, or life, like the corresponding clause in the following verse. Hitzig and Ginsburg explain the word, Make thyself forsaken, 
or isolate thyself, which can scarcely be the meaning. The authorized version is correct. A man who professes to be wiser than others and indeed wiser than providence incurs the envy and animosity of his fellow men and will certainly be punished by God for his arrogance and presumption. So what would be some examples of this? If the Pharisees are an appropriate case study, what is it that Jesus says against the Pharisees? He says that when they pray, they pray loudly on the street corners to be heard by men. Jesus also tells the parable, or he asks the question of two men. It isn't necessarily a parable, but it could be very easily something that was observed. He had observed it himself right before he asked the question. Jesus highlights two men praying in the temple, one of them a Pharisee, the other a sinful man. The sinful man beats his chest, can't even look up to heaven, and says, Woe to me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. And the Pharisee, meanwhile, proudly, arrogantly, thanks the good Lord that he is not like that sinner over there. (laughs) No, no, he's not. That's true. He is not like that sinner. He is arguably a worse kind of sinner because he thinks himself better. He thinks himself wiser, more righteous. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Ecclesiastes 7.16 comes to mind when Jesus says of the Pharisees that they tithe out of their spice racks and yet have neglected the weightier matters of the law. They are so obsessive in their observance of the law, in the details, that they have missed the whole point of the law, which he sums up as, Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Which is to say, the point of the law is not bragging rights. The point of the law is quite the opposite. To induce a genuine humility on our part, a practical humility on our part, before God and before man. So what we don't do is we don't say, okay, well, God made a law. God gave a command. God said, do this thing. Well, I'm going to do it only. I'm going to only do that thing all the time. And I'm going to do it better than anybody's ever done it. It's going to be huge, right? Bigly. (laughs) Winning. Make Christianity great again. You know, we don't do that. That would be an example of being overly righteous. We think we can improve on what God has commanded by being extra severe and extra strict about it. On the flip side, God says, do not do this thing. And so what do we do? He says, don't do this to excess or don't do it in these circumstances or don't do it on this basis or don't do it with these motives or don't do it in this way at this time for these reasons. And we say, well, I'm just not going to do it at all. I'm not ever going to do it. I mean, I won't ever do that thing for any reasons. I won't ever do it in any way. He says not to do it to excess. Well, I'm not going to do it at all, at all, at all. 
He says not to do it with impure motives. Well, I'm just not going to do it with any motives whatsoever. Which, if we're not careful, if we don't study passages like Ecclesiastes 7.16, and if we don't study passages like where Jesus is not only confronting the Pharisees, not only rebuking the Pharisees, but also publicly warning the common people that unless their righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, they will in no ways enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless we study passages like that, we will fall off the tightrope, either on the one side being antinomian, where we say, ah, there is no standard. There is nothing whatsoever which we are supposed to be transformed by in the renewing of our minds. There's nothing that we are supposed to obey or adhere to. No commands. Well, in that case, then, how do we love God and how do we love one another? But on the other hand, we might fall off if we don't study passages like Ecclesiastes 7.16 and all the bits about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the scribes. We might fall off on the other end and say that there is only law, and we might be very conceited. We might be very puffed up. Now, it's interesting, some of the passages that are included when I look at this passage in BibleHub.com's cross-reference, what have you, it's pretty neat. If you don't use BibleHub, I go back and forth myself, BibleHub, Bible Gateway. But if you don't use Bible Hub yourself, it's neat because they'll show you all of the popular translations, popular English translations, if you look up just the verse. And so you can see just side by side by side, all one on top of the other, what the different translations are. So you can see, okay, what does this read like in the NIV? Do not be overly righteous, neither be overwise. Why destroy yourself? Or New Living Translation. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? Okay, well, that's pretty close. Berean Study Bible. Do not be overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? I mean, it's when you don't see a whole lot of variation and you don't see any variation along certain lines, that should tell you, ah, okay, like this is what it is, right? But some of the other passages that are brought up as cross-references include... Romans 12.3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment according to the measure of faith God has given you. All right, well, that's good. That's a good admonition to think of in connection with this one. Or how about Philippians 3.6, also listed here. As to zeal, persecuting the church, as to righteousness in the law, faultless. And this, of course, is Paul talking about himself before he had come to Christ, what his pedigree was, what his resume was. He says later on, it's worthless. It's filthy rags compared with the surpassing riches of knowing Christ. Proverbs twenty five sixteen: if you find honey, eat just what you need, lest you have too much and vomit it up. <laughs> So here we go from the very high-minded, the very wise, the very proverbial, the very eloquent, 
They're very profound to you realize if you eat too much honey, you're going to barf, right? You know, in other words, a little honey is good, right? Like the right amount of honey is delicious and healthy. Local honey in particular, if you've got a lot of allergy problems, pro tip, find some local honey, some honey made by bees who were grabbing the pollen that is common in your part of the world, and that will help your body to figure out what to do with it instead of overreacting every time it gets a a little whiff from the air. But you don't eat all the honey just because a little bit of honey on some homemade bread with some good quality butter is all right. And it is. And I don't know how many of you, how many of you, here's an interesting question. I find myself, this is a rabbit trail, so bear with me. Just follow me through it and we'll come out on the other side, I promise. But how many of you grew up having bread with some butter on top and some honey drizzled on the bread as a, a common side with your meals. Like I'm talking, you know, suppose you're going to have some roast beef and some carrots and maybe some potatoes and maybe a small salad. And then also, too, you're going to have a loaf of bread on the table Ideally, homemade bread. Homemade bread is really good for this. But you're going to have some homemade bread and a little plate of butter with a butter knife. What else? And a little honey pot. The honey pot. And I remember one that we had when I was growing up. It was was really neat. I'd love to find one like this, actually. Not that I'm convinced it would survive all of my dear sweet children. Just look at how my coffee mugs <laughs> fare. I need to buy like titanium coffee mugs and only use those. Um, I, I literally, I mean, here's a rabbit trail off the rabbit trail, but I literally have had several coffee mugs that didn't make it a day in this house before one of our number dropped them or was just a little too rough, putting them back in the sink. And next thing I hear, oh, no. And the next thing I find is that one or more of my children are coming to me with, you know, hopefully like the majority of the structure of the coffee mug, and then usually, typically, parts of the handle inside the coffee mug, and then probably also, typically also, a couple of assorted pieces from the lip of the coffee mug inside. And they bring it to me with downcast faces. I'm sorry. You know, like, (laughs) so anymore, I have a collection on my shelf in my office and it's, it's funny in some ways, most of the coffee mugs on my shelf are, coffee mugs from places like there's one from Mount Rushmore and there's also one from Chaco Canyon and you know like just different things like that I'm sure when Solomon and I 
Lord willing, go on his 13-year-old uh, rite of passage father-son trip, either late December, I think it'll be late December, depending on the weather, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll play it by ear, but either late December or early January of next year, uh, we'll probably come back from some cool place that we went with a coffee mug. And I might just skip the whole risking it being broken and just, just put it right on the shelf, you know, save that for someday when they're all, uh, older, all, all of my children are older and have better hand-eye coordination. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there was this honey pot that we had when I was growing up and it was a neat, it was a neat thing, right? Like it was kind of a glazed pottery sort of a pot. And it was, I think probably handmade from some local artisan in the Montana area. And it was kind of a, you know, brownish, tannish color and it was glazed, you know, so it, so it just, it had a really neat color and, um, shine to it. And it had just like a little knobby lid that you could just, you know, take off to refill the honey or to get some honey out for your bread. But then it, it had one of those very typical wooden, uh, I don't, I don't even know what they're called. Honey, um, utensils, but you know, it's like, it's a wooden stem. And then on the end of it, it's just kind of this knobby, uh, you know, perforated lined ball that, you know, the honey can kind of get into when you dip the implement down into the honey. And then when you pick it up, you kind of just twirl it so that you don't have drizzles of honey on the table, ideally, and all over yourself and whoever you're next to. But then, you know, you just, you drizzle that on your, your piece of bread with the, with the butter. And, you know, you don't want to go overboard. You don't want to, you know, go crazy with the honey, but a little bit of honey on the bread, you know, homemade bread. Lauren makes really good homemade bread, for instance. You know, a little bit of that drizzled honey on some Irish butter in honor of the fact that it's delicious. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and, and you're off to the races. You know, and if you, you could have that with soup, you can have that with meat and potatoes, you can have that, you know, with most things, right? But Proverbs twenty five sixteen. Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. You know, children have a tendency to make this kind of a error with regards to food. Sometimes just because of clumsiness. You know, we typically will buy uh, Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce. We like Sweet Baby Ray's. Every, all of us like it, and so it's easy to keep that in stock. I might go for a spicier barbecue sauce now and then, but it's hit or miss on whether our children always appreciate it. And some other barbecue sauce, it's like, okay, well, this is delicious, and I think we all like it, but it's also more expensive, and it's not really cost-effective for us to be doing this all the time. Maybe we'll, you know, we'll get that on special occasions. 
Father's Day or Mother's Day or birthday or something like that. But because we have such a big family, we will buy in bulk. And so we'll buy a big jar of Sweet Baby Ray's. And what we should do is we should find, kind of like with the honeypot thing, we should find a container that you can put the barbecue sauce into that's more manageable. It makes it easier to um, pour for little hands, little people. That uh, I should put on the to-do list, actually. And if you know of any such good containers, or you have one, uh, by all means, send me a link. I would be very interested. I I don't know where one would find such a thing. I would have to do a little bit of searching. But if you save me some time on that and you happen to know one that you really like, uh, let me know. But um, sometimes when my children are pouring themselves a little bit of barbecue sauce, and we I don't know if everybody does this, but you know, we'll sometimes put barbecue sauce on some things that uh, maybe other people wouldn't necessarily. Like, for instance, if we're having chicken and rice and some veggies, uh, a little bit of barbecue sauce on that, just drizzled on that, can be really tasty. Uh, but uh, I say a little. And just because a little is good does not mean that a lot is better, as is evidenced when, from time to time, my three-year-old, for instance, attempts to pour himself some barbecue sauce from a full uh, bulk container of Sweet Baby Ray's. And when he does this from time to time, when we're not looking, usually when we're distracted, we're you know having conversation or we got up to do something or get something, what happens is that his bowl might be half uh, whatever my wife made for us for dinner, and the other half, sweet baby rays. And, uh, and and you and I both know that sweet baby rays is not meant to be consumed in that kind of proportion to what you're eating with it or eating it with. That's just nasty, right? And it, like unless you can scrape off the majority of that and maybe dilute it into the next three or four children's bowls uh, after you've scraped off the excess. Uh, unless you do that, you, you've practically made that bowl inedible. Like it's just, ugh, you know, too much, too much, too much, too much, too much. Not an enjoyable experience. If you eat it anyways, you're eating it on principle and you're not feeling great afterwards. It's just too much. Well, that's what it is with this as well. That's what it is when Ecclesiastes 7.16 tells us, do not be overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. You know, righteousness is a blessing and it protects life and it pleases God and it loves those around us and it honors those around us and it is a good steward of the life that God has given us. But righteousness is to be understood in proportion and in context and not to become an end to itself and not to become a means to the end of self-aggrandizing. That's actually not righteous. 
the outward show of religion while the inner heart is a tomb filled with dead men's bones. You know, that's where Jesus, again, goes after the Pharisees. And he says they're whitewashed tombs. Outwardly beautiful, but inside is dead men's bones. It's lifeless. No. No. What does that profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What did you profit? What did you gain? What was the benefit to that, to that outward show if it wasn't motivated by love. And we've talked about this recently with regards to manners. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, as it's famously known in our day. Paul lists off one excellent mode of being after another, one New Year's resolution we might have after another, after another, one bucket list item after another, after another. And he says, for each. But if I don't have love, if it's not motivated by love, if it's not driven by love, it's worthless. It's nothing. It's a waste of time. Sometimes when we pursue righteousness and wisdom, our motives are neither wise nor righteous. And that's where probably the best thing we could do is we could stop wherever we're at, and question, why? Why am I pursuing wisdom? Why am I pursuing righteousness? Because in answering the question of why, it necessarily follows that the way in which I do this will be affected. If my reasons are sound, then the way in which I pursue wisdom and righteousness will be profitable. If my reasons are unsound, or or foolish, or clumsy, like three-year-old hands trying to pour a little bit of barbecue sauce on the rice and chicken, well then, we're going to need some help. We we could either ask for some help now, or we could ask for some help later when when the kind of help is scraping off the excess into the jar again, or into one another's bowls until something approaching reasonable (laughs) barbecue saucing has been achieved. But you know, I, I have a, I have a hard time with this in part because I want to talk about everything and let's just talk about everything. Okay. I was recently having a conversation with someone I know. We'll just keep it at that level. And everybody leans in like, oh, who's he, who's he talking about? What's this going to be? Uh, I was recently having a conversation with somebody I know. And they were telling me about a young man at a church their family goes to. And this young man... He just recently became a member, let's say in the past four to six months, and he helps with music, but he is a a fairly recent convert, it sounds like to me. I don't know him, but it sounds like he's taking uh, the faith very seriously. And he's probably close to my age, but he 
he does smoke and he does drink alcohol and he is interested in courting um, and possibly I, I might even be more serious than that. I, I might be misunderstanding or misremembering. I think he's interested in even asking this gal to marry him. And so what he did recently is he went and spoke with one of the two pastors at this church and trying to get godly counsel, which is good, like good on him to go to this pastor and say, hey, you know, what, you know, what do you think of uh, a girl like her and a guy like me? You know, do you think we could ever work out? You know, kind of like that scene from Star Wars with Han Solo ribbing Luke Skywalker. You know, what do you think? You think a princess like her? And a, no. No. <laughs> and Han just smiles because that's exactly the reaction he was trying to get anyway. But essentially, that was the comeback from this pastor that this young man, I say young man, I'm a young man, he's a young man, apparently we're less and less young every day. But this man, that was the response that he got from this pastor. Uh, no, no. I mean, I'm sure much much nicer, right? I'm sure, I'm sure the pastor, and I know the pastor too in question, uh, he is a nice guy. He's a very nice guy. But uh, his response was no, uh, unless, right? And here, here were the conditions. You have to stop smoking and you have to cut alcohol out entirely. Now, there remains a question, and, and I'm getting all this second, third hand, so bear that in mind. But, but the question was asked, well, is he... You know, is he is he a drunk? Is he an alcoholic? Because that would make sense. Okay, you're an alcoholic, just cut it out entirely, right? Better not to even deal with it at all, at all. If you have a history of abuse and addiction that has wrecked your life, just be done with it. You know, better that you would cut uh, an arm off that caused you to sin than have the whole body cast into hell. Better that you would pluck your eye out and throw it into the fire, then that your whole body would be burned up, Jesus says. Uh, we should be careful not to necessarily take that too literally because it really is what's, it's what, it's what's in our affections. It's what's in our minds and our hearts. And that's not either an argument for going and getting a lobotomy, by the way, but, but it's, it's what's in man that comes out in what we say and, and what we do. And sometimes what we don't say and what we don't do. But alas, I digress. This pastor, young, young pastor, also about my age, said to this young man seeking counsel, recent convert, recent member, you can't see her until you give up smoking and drinking. Uh, with respect, brother, Why? Why? Like, please make your case from the scriptures and do so with something approaching depth. Uh, to say that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is not sufficient. Because we have in the scriptures examples of you know, what you know, we refer to as those 
who take the Nazarite vow. And part of the Nazarite vow is not only will your mother not have any alcohol while she's pregnant with you, like see Samson in the book of Judges, for instance, but for your whole life, you will never have a drop, not even a drop of alcohol. Now that would not be special. That would not be remarkable were it not to be assumed that the kind of wine that the rest of the people were consuming now and again in moderation, ideally, were alcoholic and not mere grape juice. Now, I, I think that's very self-evident. Also, too, what wouldst thou say, O pastor, to the Lord Jesus, whose first public ministry miracle recorded in the gospel accounts is not turning wine into water. Hey, you know, like a very classic dad thing to do. Hey guys, I don't think you've been drinking enough water. My kids come to me for literally anything. And my first question is, have you had enough water? Have you been drinking enough water? You know, they go to my wife and they'll probably, <laughs> they'll probably get a hug and they will get a kiss, you know, a scraped elbow. She will kiss their elbow. She will give them a hug. And she will tassel their hair. And she might even give them some essential oils. You know, our son comes up last night from the basement. Hey, my stomach hurts. Uh, I ask whether he's had enough water to drink today. My wife <laughs> offers him some essential oils. Uh, there in a nutshell is difference between uh, fathers and mothers and men and women. And have you been drinking enough water? Well, Jesus doesn't do that, right? Jesus doesn't do that with the wedding at Cana. And, and what he does instead should be instructive here. My pastor friend, my brother, you know, this is where we risk being holier than God. And, and we do not become better Christians. We are not going to really, really impress him by beating his high score. The fact that we think maybe his rules, his restrictions are not strict enough is more than just us taking seriously the danger involved. Or at least it very well could be. It very well could be that we're finding fault with God to be as a rule that we impose on others, more restrictive than God is. And, and where does it go, right? You know, I, I feel bad for this young man. And again, I say young man. So apparently I think I'm a young man if I think he's about my age and I'm referring to him as a young man. But I feel bad for this guy who just went to this pastor that I know asking for advice and getting, no, you can't see her unless you give up smoking and drinking. Now, the irony in my mind is that I very, very much doubt that a alternative scenario would have the same results. Now, here's my alternative scenario for you. Let's suppose 
that a certain gentleman in the church maybe indulges a little too much when he's at the sizzler. Maybe he has just a little too much dessert. You know, he enjoys that pie and that cake and that pudding and that ice cream just a little more often in a little greater quantity than is uh, prudent for his waistline and for his energy level and you know all that. You know, he, he is the Proverbs twenty five sixteen audience. Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient. Well, he, he eats a little more than is sufficient. <laughs> uh, my Uncle Wes, before he passed away due to cancer, used to be very fond of answering the question of should we have dessert now or, or later after a meal, after, you know, during big family get-togethers. You know, should we have some dessert now or should we have some dessert later after the food is settled was the gist of the question that my aunts and my grandmother would be uh, trying to ask. You know, we, we just ate this meal. Should we let the food settle and just have some conversation maybe for half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, and then break out the dessert? Or do we want to have some dessert now? And my Uncle Wes, you know, jovial... Uh, fellow that he was, he he would say, how about now and later? And to this day, uh, all my cousins and aunts and uncles remember him fondly by that because it was just, it was just a funny, <laughs> funny thing to say. Uh, but, but suppose a gentleman, a young man of about my age, unmarried, were interested in a, a gal in the church and he's a recent convert and He's helping with music, and I'm told also that this young man uh, is writing his own Bible commentary. So, you know, how about that, right? Uh, Will he perhaps benefit from submitting his Bible commentary for review? No question, you know, no question. Ask for some help on these things, especially if you're a recent convert and you're you're wanting somebody to double check your work uh, to help improve your understanding, your comprehension, make sure you're, you're grasping these things, but good on you, right? Like, I, I think that's very commendable. I think that's, I think that's phenomenal, but let's say instead of smoking and I, and I don't know if he smokes a pipe or if he smokes cigars or if he smokes cigarettes or like what he, you know, I don't know if it's like a chain smoking sort of a thing or if it's a, Every now and then, you know, poker night, which that could be a problem too. You know, he breaks out the uh, cigar, the humidor. Um, but, you know, if he overindulges and he's a little overweight and he's known for, you know, kind of making comments like that, does the pastor he's seeking counsel from in that scenario say, you can't see her, you can't be a good husband for her until you drop your calorie intake by X number per week until you start working out, you know, at least three or four days a week. You know, you're not, how how are you taking care of the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, the scriptures are very clear not to be a glutton. You know, and, and also too, on the flip side, you know, basically the gist of what I understand through the grapevine is, and that pun intended, uh, the gist of what I understand is, well, we don't know if he drinks to excess 
But the fact that he's drinking alcohol at all is that's dangerous. And if he drinks a little bit of alcohol, well then, you know, what if he all of a sudden decides to drink a lot of alcohol and then he becomes a drunk and he becomes an alcoholic and he becomes abusive and like there's just this wild tangent of all of these speculative things that might be coming out of this. And and one thinks to themselves very often in these kinds of scenarios, oh yes, that's very yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, right, okay, yeah, right. Like we should be very serious about that. And, but on the other hand, apply that same kind of thinking to gluttony. You know, suppose we said, okay, you know, like I think maybe I'm eating a little bit more than I should here lately. I'm just going to stop eating so as to avoid the temptation to gluttony. And that's what Ecclesiastes 7.16 is talking about. Do not be overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. It's cutting off your nose to spite your face. And it's not good counsel, uh, my pastor friend, to say to this young man, you can't pursue marriage with this young lady in the church until you've stopped drinking and smoking. That, that's just, that's not good counsel. That's, that's not. That's not biblical counsel. That's your opinion, maybe. But that's not good counsel, in my opinion. If you can have an opinion, I, I can have an opinion, too. We can all have opinions. But that is not from the Lord. Or if it is, please explain and show your work. You know, so also with the smoking thing. Burnt offerings create smoke in the Old Testament. And God is pleased by that. You know, I think very often in our day and age where we have automobiles, and yes, they have some exhaust unless we're driving an EV, but they have some exhaust. We might suppose that a little bit of smoke is damaging. That's, you know, that's dangerous. And sure, okay, is it? Is it the best for your health? Maybe not. Are you running a risk? Sure. Is also everything else in life risky? Uh, yes. And this is not an argument that we should all start smoking and take up smoking. But it is to say, every time you jump in your vehicle and you drive to the store, you're running a risk. But it's a calculated risk, and it's one that, to some extent, we all just accept. And we don't say to somebody, you can't court this gal, you can't marry this gal, until you cut out driving. Driving is very dangerous, you know. I guess no way to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what we do is, on matters where it's debatable, and it might be a matter of conscience, it might be meat offered to idols, there may be some risk, but there is also an upside. There is also a benefit. There is also a reward. And it's not explicitly verboten, to use the German, to give that term and concept a more severe quality, as using the German invariably does. <laughs> if it's not verboten from the scriptures, then you need to step off. Because what you risk, actually, I think, is a far more grievous harm where you convince everybody in your community of faith that there is a benefit that there's a benefit in being overly righteous and overly wise as Kohalath asks as the preacher asks in Ecclesiastes why should you destroy yourself 
wisdom and righteousness are good when they come from good motives. It's easy to moderate when we have the proper perspective and context for such pursuits. But here you have a young man. He's taking this very seriously. He's wanting to help with music. He's writing a Bible commentary. Sounds to me like he wants to get married because he's read and doing his Bible commentary thus far. It's not good for a man to be alone. He's also read, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. He's found a young woman who's less and less young every day. And I know her too. She is less and less young every day. No offense if you're listening. I don't mean any offense. But you're not getting any younger, sweetheart. I'm not. Seems to me, and I'll say this to the gal. Seems to me as though there are good sound principles that govern how we should approach the issue of marriage, how we should steward our bodies, and then actually marriage is part of how you're stewarding your body. And that's the more intuitive the more clear-cut, the more straightforward interpretation of what Paul is talking about when he says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What he's talking about specifically is sexual immorality. And before you start teasing out these very, very obscure lessons and lectures on tobacco and alcohol, maybe you should start with the sexual immorality piece. And maybe you should also talk about where Paul says that it's better to marry than it is to burn with lust. I mean, in that passage, when it talks about your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, it also talks about not uniting the body of Christ to a prostitute. In other words, Christians should not be going to the red light district in town for a hookup. You shouldn't be practicing sexual immorality. What you should do instead, if you can't be as Paul is, Content with singleness, perpetual, devoting yourself to serving the Lord with all this extra free time and free attention and free financial wherewithal. If you're not going to be devoting yourself to the Lord and if you can't control yourself otherwise, it is better to marry than to burn with lust. And so now we have a young man. He's content to marry this gal, it sounds like, or at least pursue and explore the possibility of getting married. She, for her part, I would hope is at least open enough to it that she's comfortable with him talking with the pastor. But I think it's very unfortunate that you might have a pastor being overly righteous and overly wise here in some ways, and yet I think unrighteous and unwise in other ways by having missed the forest for the trees, by having missed the context of the passage pertaining to your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, for instance. It seems to me as though rather than being overly strict and overly severe with this guy, rather than risking sending the message that we're more righteous, we're holier than Jesus, a new high score like at the pinball machine in the arcade, rather than sending the message that we think that way and, and risking the very diminished opinion of us, which might result when, in writing his commentary, he comes to the wedding at Cana, <laughs> he starts asking very reasonable questions like, hey, yeah, what about that? 
Why did you tell me that I needed to stop drinking alcohol again when Jesus actually turned water into wine and not the way, not the other way around? And good wine, by the way. And, and when I really study this diligently, I'm going to find that the type of quality wine it is, it was more common, according to the guests, it was more common to be less well-noticed the longer the party goes on because usually the best is served first and you give the lower quality wines after people have imbibed the higher quality stuff so that they, you know, like they're not quite as perceptive, shall we say. Oh, that right there tells me that this is not grape juice, strictly speaking. This is wine. This is alcoholic wine. And that's fine. And that's good. That's okay. It's not the same thing as drunkenness. We're being asthmatic about some of these things. And I say that as an asthmatic. It can be a normal, healthy response for me to sneeze if somebody kicks up some dust. That might tell me, hey, you know what? Some of the stuff that's floating around in the air here, maybe I don't know. I, maybe I don't need to be breathing. Maybe I should just go get, you know, a mask, or maybe I should step away for a second while the dust clears. You know, that might be a healthy immune response from my body to sneeze, eyes to water, nose to run, get the stuff out of there. When my lungs literally just refuse to work right now. <laughs> Because I got a whiff of some pet dander, and all of a sudden I'm on my way to the emergency room. Hey, can you guys help me get these guys going again? You know, like that's not a healthy immune response, actually. Well, so also with this, in my very genuine, very sincere opinion. And oh, by the way, I'll just throw this out there as well. Should it be something that we criticize a young man for that he's writing his own Bible commentary? Is that something that we should find fault with? Is that something to be concerned about? Because apparently that's also been an issue raised, not necessarily by this pastor friend of mine, pastor acquaintance of mine, but someone else who's in the mix, I'll leave it there, expressed concern that that's a, a bit of a red flag that this young man is writing a Bible commentary. And I just think to myself, Oh boy. Maybe you've had a little too much honey. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there, though. It's a Friday morning. I'm taking my daughter to the father daughter dance tonight. I got some work to do in the meantime. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.